Well, Relevant has a lot happening this year, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com, and we'll send you our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every weekday. We'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes, some uh, fan extras, and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year. Make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. This is The Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, February 25th, 2022, and it's The Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. Very hot day today. I'm your host, Cameron Strang. Uh, Joining me from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author, speaker, podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And we have a little bit of an introduction. Our very own Derek Miner is renovating his studio right now, and FedEx lost his desk. So he's out. Tyler Huckabee is on a plane going to L.A. to see the war on drugs tonight. Oh, nice. It's a band. It's a band. Uh, So he's out. Emily is in Paris. She's going to join us in a little bit for Relevant Buzz, but I didn't want her to have to work till like eight in the eight, eight at night, you know, again. So she's out. So next person up, please welcome our very own. She's been with us. She's been part of the Relevant team for years. If you listen, listen to the Deeper Walk podcast last year, you know this voice. Uh, Gabrielle Griffin. Hey, Gabs. Hi, thanks for having me. How's San Diego? You're it's, in lovely San Diego, right? It's great. Yeah, it's sunny and cool. Love it here. Yeah, it's not here. Nice. But, uh, so yeah, Gab's, uh, it's her first time on the podcast. She's a little nervous. Jamie, you're you're a vet. Jesse, you're a vet. Any tips? Do you have any tips for Gab's on how to like have a good first show? Because there's a lot of pressure on her. I was telling her before the show, if she bombs this and people sour on shot. the relevant podcast because she sucked the life out of the show, it's not going to be good. So any tips for her? I wasn't my, nervous until then. I wasn't. My, my, tip, my tip is just to remember every word that leaves your mouth will be heard by countless people and Great. they will be scrutinized uh, publicly uh-huh. and um, people will judge your uh, oh, your eternal yeah. salvation uh, <laughs> based on offhanded remarks about a political, social, or comedy-related issue. Great. It's right. it's Great. A, now, just remember, they're going to be petitioning on the Lord either on your behalf or, <laughs> or against you. Or against you. And Great. so That's I right. just want you to think about literally every word that leaves your mouth for the next hour and a half. So no pressure. That's all I would say. That's the best advice I can give. Thank you for the fear that is now inside me. Oh, Jamie, well, you didn't even know what you should be afraid of. <laughs> Jamie, you're a vet. Do you have any tips for like, I do on have how two to... tips for you. Okay. Gabs. Yeah. These are my two tips. Number one is there will be times when you're like, I want to say something, but everyone's talking. You just got to just say it, like just jump in <laughs> and say it or else you will never get said. It's like double Dutch. Double Dutch. You got to just this. go for it. Yeah. I've you learned this. Go for it. Yeah. I've learned this working with Cameron. <laughs> you just got to plow your way through. He's going to keep talking if you don't, yeah. if you don't stick your head up. Yeah. The second advice is this. 
if you don't want to be held accountable for what someone else says on this show, you just mm-hmm. laugh and have this really like <laughs> giggle. And then you, okay. you can say, I didn't Jamie, say that. That Jamie, was Jesse. Like, how I didn't often, say that. <laughs> how often does that happen to you? Where you're like, uh, like I could, you, I, I could lose a speaking gig because of some, something idiotic that Jesse said. Like, how I, often is that a, a fear that runs through your head? It's not a fear. I'm not fearful, but I will say there have been a few moments on the show where I was like, I'm just not going to say anything. So then I'm yeah. not like included. No one can lump me in. I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing at the jokes, but I'm not saying them. But the fact that you laughed is is culpable. Like you were you were part of the joke at that point. I, I will say I this, know. Gabs. The other the other key is is a is an idea uh, commonly known as plausible deniability. And <laughs> how it applies to this scenario is if you say enough just absolutely absurd things, anything you say, you could just say, "Well, I was just being absurd." You I know? live by this. It's, I yeah, live by exactly. this. Uh, yes. I've lived it. I've lived by that for most of my adult life, and Great. so uh, here I am. So it's working out I well just for put, Jesse. Mm-hmm. I just put all my trust in Clark. I just, you know, it's like I throw a lot of verbal. <laughs> I've learned the against. Wall, I've learned not to do that. The- <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm the ultimate judge here, guys. Yeah, that's right. Well, we or have, they'll just, or I'm sorry, one more thing, or yeah. Gabs, they'll just put a bleep in when you said something, but you didn't really say anything bad, but it oh, just sounds funnier. like you said something bad. Unnecessary censorship is my, is so funny to me. Like when Jamie, the lovely, <laughs> kind Jamie Ivy says something and that we bleep it in post-production <laughs> and it sounds like she said something way worse than she did. Oh, it is funny. It makes me so happy. Oh man. Okay. Well, let's just beep a whole lot of Gabs and stuff and people will be like, you gotta <laughs> right. be like, not no, don't do that. Well, the reason why Gabs wanted to be here is because our guest today is Channing Tatum. And she just, you know, she has the poster on the wall. She's been she's been a Channing Tatum. Uh, she's the president of the fan club there in San Diego. <laughs> and she just wanted to be part of this episode. So I knew Channing Tatum's coming later. It's pretty That's crazy. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has a new movie coming out that he it's his directorial debut. It's a movie called Dog. Um, so that's coming up later. Uh, also, we have a very special What's Jesse Thinking? And I've I heard through the grapevine. I heard through the grapevine that Jesse said to Clark, have we ever talked about giants? So and I said, uh, let's get just weird in today. general. Yeah, OK, here's I have a lot to discuss on this topic and I'm Don't tempted just to jump right to it now. But just give us a lot. foreshadowing. Just give there, us a foreshadowing. I, there's a hidden history right under our noses and I'm going to bring some historic quotes from, from notable people that will shock you, shock you. (laughs) It's going to be unreal. And uh, I don't know why I'm talking about it, but it's what I've been thinking about (laughs) trying to distract myself. I, you know, there's too much. I listen to the news when I get ready in in the morning, like either NPR Uh or like the daily or something. There's a lot of heavy stuff and I believe it's important to stay informed, but also you need to give your mind a break and think about just some wild stuff sometimes. And today just felt like a wild stuff kind of day. I don't know why it just did. I don't know if you guys are on that boat, but here we are. All right. Well, then stay tuned. Up next, Emily joins us from Paris for Relevant Buzz.
You're listening to Foles. The song is 2 a.m., which is when I usually go to bed. Well, today's show is brought to you by UHSM. Healthcare costs have been growing year after year. Man, have they. Uh, can lead to a lot of confusion. Thankfully, UHSM offers great and affordable health for everyone. Unite HealthShare Ministries, or UHSM, is a Christian health sharing ministry that puts your health before anything else. Now, health sharing isn't insurance. The programs at UHSM are member-based fellowships where faithful people can take charge of their own health care. UHSM offers different programs to meet any and all of your needs, from telehealth options to plans that cover the unexpected moments in life. UHSM has something for everyone. For more information, head over to UHSM.org or contact a representative at 800-900-8476. Again, for more info, head over to UHSM.org or contact a rep at 800-900-8476. Okay, it's time for Relevant Buzz. Very buzzy. Please welcome from Paris, France, our very own downtown Emily Brown. Hey, Emily. Bonjour, everyone. What's the buzz today? <laughs> I'm trying out new like little tosses. I don't know. I don't I know like that one's going to stick. That what's one, the buzz? I think it could work. Yeah. <laughs> I right. think you needed more Z's at the end. Okay. Really All right. Going. What's going on? So this one is for my Wordlers uh, or fans of Wordle. I don't know if we have an actual name, but I would like to suggest Wordlers unless someone can think of something much better. <laughs> um, so two weeks ago, the New York Times acquired Wordle um, in a very expensive deal, might I add. Uh, and around that time, a lot of fans started noticing or sorry, started perceiving that the game was getting harder. Um, so if you don't know what the game is, there's one word a day. You have six tries to guess it. It's very straightforward. It's also a lot more fun than I'm making it sound, I promise. Um, but yeah, so around that time, a lot of fans felt like the game was getting harder uh, before the New York Times took it over. You know, it had really basic, simple words. Uh, but now there were words that were using double letters. So like cynic or tacit or aroma. And you may not think those are hard words, but they are hard words if you're playing the game. Um, and so as humanity does, they took to the Internet to air their grievances and complain about the New York Times taking something that was very simple and fun and making it just unnecessarily difficult. Um, and I, you know, I don't know who the first person was to tweet that, but it just really took off. And a lot of people just really started kind of like dogging on the New York times for making everything more difficult than it needed to be. Is Wordle, Jamie and Jesse is Wordle something in your worlds? Like, no, Wordle, I still haven't. We talked about yeah. it. I still yeah. haven't. And I, I'm, you know what, Emily It's just like us Americans to be mad when somebody makes something too hard that we can't win immediately. You know, <laughs> right. we got to blame us. somebody for our <laughs> somebody. ignorance. Yeah. Well, the other thing is like it's not only people are like hesitant to change, they're hesitant to perceive to change, right? Like, hey, my Ooh. Instagram feed isn't showing up like it used to, right? Like I'm getting different stuff. And it's, it's like literally, who knows? Maybe the algorithm did, likely it didn't. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> people like just the idea of change really bothers people. And I found this, is, and, and this is anecdotal, like I don't, I don't have any research in front of me to show this, but I feel like this is slightly accelerated in like the like the digital era especially when it comes to like like user interface design like our digital our digital screens have become extensions of our sort of like you know tactile 
uh, intuition, right? Like we understand how to swipe, how to push, how to do this. And one little alteration to that really creates problems for people. You know, it's like when Facebook used to make like a, a change to the newsfeed or whatever, when people actually looked at Facebook and people would, it was just a full day of everybody's status updates. It's just how angry are about a slight design modification to a free app that they are in no, ob- in no way obligated to use. Like I mm-hmm. kind of feel like with the, with the Wordle thing, it's like the guy did this didn't even change it they just the idea of something that they use every day changing really bothers people but it's good to know it's still og wordle that we're dealing with here (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i think it also i think what also happened is um you know kind of confirmation bias where one person made a comment that the new york times made it harder and then everybody just immediately agreed with it and didn't try to like figure out if that was actually the truth until a couple of days in after this narrative have already been pushed. So it's really, int- you know, like the things with Facebook algorithm change or the, any algorithm changing people hear that it changed and they just automatically think it was a bad thing because one person complained about it, but you know, it may not actually be as bad as we perceive it, but because the first thing we saw about it was a negative thing, we kind of continue that narrative in our mind. Yeah. I, d- I do think it's funny that Gabs is sitting here nodding silently. Hey, Gabs, this is an audio medium. I know. I had to get in. <laughs> Gabs, things, what do you think? Say things with your mouth. I, I, I will. It's, Are you a wordler? I'm, I'm not. I do haven't gotten into it. No, I haven't gotten into it at all yet. I do think it's funny that this is news. This is the relevant buzz. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just a niche thing that kind of Emily's into. <laughs> and, and Emily and do Tyler. you play Cameron? Yeah, every day. Yeah. Oh. I, I, the three of us compare yeah. our scores and stuff. I, it, it, like I have an awareness having never played it. I have like an awareness of Wordle, you know, like <laughs> I know that people play it and I see like there's little green squares. It just like yeah. people telling me how long it took them to do a task that I have no frame of reference for. <laughs> <laughs> like what value is this adding to me? And then yeah. I see people angry that they overheard the word like on the bus or yeah. something. I'm like, okay, well, thanks for publicly <laughs> letting me know because <laughs> is this how is this how non-sports fans feel like yes. most of the time on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of like, oh, I, yeah, I can't believe that Harden trade. They don't even know. They don't even know th- who Harden is, much less that he was traded or for what the terms were. But right. I'm just yeah. throwing that out into the world as if they do. Now I understand what it's like to do that, being on the receiving end of Wordle updates every morning. <laughs> yeah. Does it make you want to join Wordle or does it push you further away? It pushes me joining? further. It pushes me further, too. Interesting. Yeah. And it's not out of principle. It just that does not seem like a game that I enjoy. It seems like, oh, great. A, a, a homework assignment every morning. Sweet. Right. <laughs> like it's if it was a like a puzzle. Cool, it's a little yeah, exactly. puzzle. It's, all it's it a is. word puzzle. Word th- yeah. word, OK. Do, do you remember back in the day? This is going to age me probably significantly. But, you know, people who are part of what Nate Bargassi calls the Oregon Trail generation, elder millennials, like when when we were in computer, when computers were first making their ways to schools. That seems like an absurd statement. Right. But I remember yeah. you had a computer lab and yep. they would teach you touch typing for beginners with Mavis Beacon. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. it had a race car game on there. I was like, sweet. I'm just going to sit here and race cars. But the way that you propel the car in the race is by typing words that show up on the screen and and trying to do it for speed. And the faster and more accurately you type, the faster your car goes. It was a huge trick. Like, it wasn't a racing game. There was no excitement to that. It was just a dumb word game. And now the New York Times is trying to do the same thing. Trick me yep. into thinking I'm having fun by playing some dumb word game. I'm not into it, man. Like, give me a real game. Give me a real race car game, and then we can talk. Yeah. All right, what else is going on, Emily? Uh, well, something that I think actually affects everyone, uh, not just Wordle. Uh, a new report came out that um, there is sort of a clergy shortage in America, um, that a lot of pastors are leaving the pulpit, whether it's for retirement or because the pressure of the pandemic is just kind of reaching their breaking point. Um, but a lot of churches are just really struggling to find ministry leaders right now. Um, and there's even reports that some uh, churches and areas are kind of sharing pastors. Like one pastor will kind of oversee like up to six churches in um, some just different areas because there's not enough people that are stepping up um, to be leaders. And uh, there's really no solution to it other than we just need more people. Within certain religious groups, they've announced or they've kind of released some numbers. So um, I know with Catholic parishes, there was like 3,000 parish or 3,500 parishes that were lacking a priest. And that was one where they're sharing. Wow. Yeah, they're sharing like priests in their diocese. And um, I think I think within the Lutheran church, there were a couple um kind of search committees for churches, they had said that they were actually looking into uh, pastors from other denominations because they just weren't (laughs) getting any applicants from their churches. So they were looking at like Methodist pastors because they were like, you know, we can't stick to our denomination. We need someone to lead us. Um, So it's just some of it is anecdotal too. the, you know, they talked to people that had left and, you know, a lot of pastors were saying that it was a hard decision to make, but they have their weekends back and they're not as stressed yeah. anymore because they're not spending 70 hours a week caring for everyone. They can just kind of focus on their families. Um, or 70 hours a week putting up with people's. Yeah. Yeah. Beep. Well, there's where the bleep would go. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, the moment. Hey, and make it an extended one, Clark. Keep it up with people. <laughs> just, just a long oh, term. Oh, Jamie. Goodness, and Jamie's then, angry. And then, and then sometimes they come into your office, they look you right in the eye, and they say, well, you know what you can do with your sermon notes? <laughs> this seems very specific, Jamie. <laughs> but I think that's a part of it, too, is a lot of, uh, uh, honestly, pastors that I know have said these have been the hardest two years ever of their life in ministry. Mm -hmm. My own husband has said that as a pastor. And I think a lot of older pastors are retiring and we don't have a lot of people going into seminary anymore. And so I think it is like, it is a big problem that I think we're even going to see the effects of in like 10, 15 years of even is how do our churches function. And maybe it'll look like more churches going back to having not just full-time staff, you know, like I go to a very large church, but like these smaller churches, a lot of them might go back to how does our pastor actually work outside the church and then give us 15 hours a week or whatever that might look like. Mm-hmm. I, I, my pastor, I mean, he left the ministry in the last couple of years. And then I, my brother and I were talking every pastor that we knew growing up in the city is not in ministry anymore. It's Most crazy. of them are because yeah. of scandals, but like literally oh. like every, every pastor 
uh, like isn't in the ministry anymore. It's mm-hmm. it's really crazy. I, I guess the last two years, it's like, I mean, we hear these stories with nurses, we hear it with teachers yeah. and now pastors. Wow. Interesting. It, I, I mean, it's unsur- I, I think it was Barna released a study at the end of last year that was like, it was something like 40% of pastors had considered leaving the ministry mm-hmm. uh, during COVID. And, you know, anyone... You know, I have some buddies that that are pastors and we try to get together, uh, you know, with some frequency. And every time, man, I have such empathy for the situations that they're put in with their congregants and and just a lot of lose-lose situations, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're just a basic, you know, like they can get either people are angry at them for doing what is perceived as taking a stand on like a social issue, like, you know, that maybe is related to the pandemic or something kind of happening in culture. Or if they kind of try a different route, they get criticized for not taking a stand on a social issue Mm -hmm. or, you know, taking the, or make aligning with the wrong people politically or Mm -hmm. what, what, it just seems like there's a lot of no win scenarios for people in Mm -hmm. ministry and not a lot of compassion you know, it, it seems like like there's almost like a lack of there. There's a antagonistic relationship with institutional authority figures, whether that be a doctor, a teacher, a pastor. It seems like people have just been conditioned in the last two years to be skeptical and antagonistic to people who are in any sort of position of authority in some sort of large institution, whether that's an education institution, uh, governmental or religious. And it's not fair to the people that operate. Mm-hmm. They're still human right. beings. Like mm-hmm. we, we, we can still, we can be rightly skeptical of scandals and corruption and, and misinformation, but we, but we don't have to be skeptical of human beings. We can take mm-hmm. a good faith approach mm-hmm. to people instead of, you know, side-eyeing everything they say and trying to trip them up mm-hmm. over their own words. It's just, there's no way to live, you know? Mm-hmm. Preach, man. All right, what else is going on, Emily? Um, just to kind of round things out on a happier note, uh, <laughs> we we got any fans of Reliant K in here? I, oh my gosh. I mean, hope, yes, at least one person. Wow. I mean, there was a time. Silence. There was a time. There I, I'm 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 reasonably indifferent about Reliant K now, but I've liked their I've enjoyed their music in the past. Wow. When I was expecting like more thrills eight? from the crowd for that one. What? Um, who, well, who in this group do you think was a big Reliant K fan? I don't know. Was or is. I think that's a different question, right? I'll oh, take that's both true. at this that's point, true. apparently. Either way, so, either way. We'll Gabs, pr- Gabs, have you ever heard of Reliant K? <laughs> no, and <laughs> I was like, can, I was thinking, can, can you name one of their songs? Because I'm really bad with like names, but I can remember based off of like hearing the song if I have. Is Reliant K heard. still around? Like, is that a thing yeah. still? Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. They are still around. Yeah. They're actually on tour right now. Oh. Um, and for real fans, this is going to be exciting. Uh, they, back in like 2007, they did a cover of the VeggieTales song, The Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. And uh, on a recent tour date in, I believe, Minneapolis, uh, fans really pushed them to sing it again. And so they brought back their song and it was a really fun time if you're a fan. Oh. And we have the clip uh, from the show right now. So they're covering a VeggieTales song. Yeah. So they covered it originally like 15 years ago. Okay. Um, But, you know, the VeggieTales, it doesn't matter how long it's been. You 
may not always be a fan of Reliant K, but you will be a fan of the VeggieTales because they're classics. <laughs> really? You know what's funny about the VeggieTales? Gabs, is the have other you ever heard of VeggieTales? Of course I have. Like, Gabs, you have to say uh, yes. Okay, everyone, that's timeless. <laughs> yeah. The other day I was listening to The Holy Post, which Phil Vischer is the, who's yeah. he, Bob or Larry? I can't remember. I don't well, know. he's the creator. Yeah, and show. he voiced either Bob or Larry. I can't remember which one of them. Anyhow, my kids were in the car, and one of my kids said, "Is that Bob the Tomato?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, VeggieTales lives on forever." <laughs> it does. <laughs> VeggieTales will never die. All right. Okay. Well, that's the buzz, I guess. <laughs> the Light K covering VeggieTales. That's the big music news of the week. Okay. All right. For more, make sure to follow Relevant on all the socials and check out everything we're publishing over at relevantmagazine.com. Thanks, Emily. Bye, guys. Stay tuned. Up next, Channing Tatum joins us. listening to Sharon Van Etten. The song is Porta. Where our guest today is Channing Tatum. He's worked on dozens of movies as an actor, producer, and now, thanks to his brand new film, Dog, as a director. Channing and Dog co-producer Reed Carolyn spoke with our very own downtown Emily Brown about stepping behind the scenes to tell this story and why dogs make the most memorable co-stars. Here is Channing Tatum. I need to get back in the game, sir. You want to get back in the game? Prove it. Sergeant Rodriguez was a legend. Family funeral Sunday outside of Nogales. They want his dog at the funeral. You do this, and you're back in the game. She won't work with anyone. One minute she's good, the next minute she's sending three guys to the ER. What's up, dog? And you're going to go on a little road trip. Easy. What are y'all so scared of? Come out out, bitch. So before I got into the interview with Channing and Reed, I wasn't quite sure what to expect talking to the both of them together. Um, and you can hear why in our conversation. They have a very energetic energy, especially when they're together and they're feeding off each other's responses. You know, these are really good friends. Clearly, they've worked on tons of films together. So talking with them was really fun and I really enjoyed it. But right away, they just started cracking jokes and having a huge laugh. And, you know, Channing in particular, I feel has built a bit of a reputation for being very funny and charming. So I loved getting to witness that firsthand. You know, plus it's always a fun conversation when you don't quite know what's going to come out of someone's mouth. Uh, and I probably should have known better when I asked what was the most surprising part of working on the film. And they sort of side-eyed each other before they both immediately started laughing. Uh, they shared that, you know, obviously creating a film during COVID was definitely a new challenge for them. But the biggest surprise turned out to be the other star of the movies, the three dogs that took turns playing Lulu. And as they explained in a little bit of a shocking detail, uh, there were definitely some unforeseen challenges that made shooting the film a surprising but very memorable experience. Making a movie <laughs> that, we were, that they let us, yeah. that they let us make a movie. Uh, we're like, true. <laughs> who was dumb Wait, enough to do this? They let us have yeah. all the control? We found the dumbest people in the industry <laughs> to give us money to make a movie. <laughs> no. We're really good at finding stupid people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that like the, the every day was a surprise. I mean, really, it was really was the dogs that kind of 
every day would throw you for a loop. Like they do something and you go, oh my gosh, we had this plan. It's not going to work out. We got to adapt to do something new. The surprise, I never thought that I would have, I was going to have to deal with like a dog in heat. That was, <laughs> uh, that was actually like really messing up the day because we, we lost essentially two dogs that were in heat because all three of our dogs for, and, and like, what if we didn't have three dogs? By the yeah, way. it's so true. And and like, and like terrible. And if it was, what if it was Lana that wasn't like yeah. Lana? Lana five. We had three dogs: Britta, uh, Zuza, and, and Lana five. Lana was our like really small dog that we only used like during certain things that she could do things that the other dogs couldn't do. And but she didn't look like the size of the other dogs, and even kind of in the face, like you, she was like a stunt dog. And our, our Lana five and Britta, our main hero dog, went into heat. And we had a we had to do the Ethan uh, Suplee's like like scenes in the movie where he had a dog named Nuke. Putting them in a scene together was not possible. Like it, they just it was it turned into chaos, like straight chaos. And so we only had one dog left to like to do this scene. Otherwise, we would not have a movie. <laughs> Is that you? Good girl. Will you give hugs now? Really? A Lulu gets the best hug. You've never had a Lulu hug? No, we don't we don't we don't exactly hug. You tell me that Nuke was just as messed up as Lulu. I had to work him every day for six months. When he stopped struggling, that's when I realized maybe I could stop struggling too. You know, like I said, I was really excited to speak with Channing Tatum. I have been a huge fan of his, honestly, ever since she's the man. And it's been really fun to follow his career as, you know, he's been a dancer and a lovable jock and a security guard and all these different roles. Um, and so I was already interested in his new film, Dog. But then I became really intrigued when I saw that he would be directing it as well. Um, you know, like I said, he's already been part of so many projects and he's been a producer on a lot of those movies. So I was really curious why this story specifically, you know, a story about an army ranger and a dog traveling across the country together. You know, why was that something that he felt particularly drawn to? And why did he want to have a bigger part in this story? Uh, I also wanted to know why Channing and Reed felt like they needed to make this film together. And I was genuinely surprised to hear that they actually did have a very personal connection to the film. They both have worked with servicemen and women before, and they really wanted to share, you know, maybe not a new story, but a side to a story that the general public doesn't often see or hear about. So here's what they had to say about that. You know, we it's hard enough finding that first story to direct for yourself, much less with two people that feel as connected and as, um, I don't know, you want to always direct something that you know, and something that we both know really intimately. And this was just the story. I had a personal connection to it and read new Lulu from from the almost the very first day that I had her. So it was, you know, it's just a it's a long, it's a long journey. And, and like this one, we really felt like we, we knew really well. We'd had a connection with like servicemen and women um, and this very specific small group of soldiers that, that are really hard to crack. And we wanted to like show that, that culture to the world. She's never slept in a nice bed before. There ain't no shame in wanting a big comfy mattress. I was hoping you might have a room for me and my little girl. Is that a purple heart? Was she wounded? Uh, Yes, she, she was. Thank you for your service. That was Channing Tatum. Make sure to check out his new film, Dog. It's out today. All right, and stay tuned. Up next, it's What's Jesse Thinking? Whole crew, yeah, we will. All my demons, they gave up. Bang, bang, and they'll fall to the floor. 
bottom. Got a good girl, she a problem. I ain't going down like Sodom. Haters like a Pokemon, ain't no cut em. Cause we on the road, we ain't stopping. I don't need to sell text like Boston. My soul's on fire, can't block it. Can't block it, can't block it. You're listening to Edgar Sandoval Jr. The song is Bang Bang. Okay, it's time for... What's Jesse thinking? Huh? That sounds like a familiar voice. It does. <laughs> My, Can you do it live, Gabs? Yeah, Can do a live, do do a live yeah. cover. Do it again. Do it yeah. again. I, I will not do that to myself. <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> That's the uh, third tip did. of the day. You don't have to do what Cameron and Jesse tell you no. to do. <laughs> no, you don't. Nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's, what are you thinking, Jesse? All right. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, during these uh, strenuous times when I can't sleep at night, I just go down weird internet <laughs> rabbit holes and stay up and read Reddit threads on my phone. And I've been going down a really weird one lately, guys. I don't. Uh, I, don't I don't. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys Your are browser aware. history scares me. I don't me, think man. it's just lately. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like my internet service provider has <laughs> provided my name to several significant <laughs> watch lists. Um, and so I, you know, I've long ago, you know, attempted any sort of measures to, to stop that because a curious mind cannot be stopped. I don't care if you're listening in SA. But uh, okay, so. <laughs> There is there is a, a really and I want to say this too on a preface like I have a very arms length I have a very complicated relationship with conspiracy theories like I, I think they can be incredibly dangerous especially in the era we in we are in but I think there are some that if you kind of uh, you know approach somewhat tongue in cheek but somewhat just curious and and, and understand it, they've you know how reasonably harmless some are uh, they're kind of fun to just intellectually indulge and the one mm-hmm. I want to talk about is the idea that uh, giants once roamed the earth, maybe much more recently than we realize, and the evidence of them living here is being actively covered up by large institutions that are interested in kind of protecting uh, um, a specific narrative of human evolution and human history. Um, and so the conspiracy sort of goes that an institution like the National Geographic Society or the Smithsonian uh, has long had evidence of giants like biblical Goliath style giants um, that they've that they've been in a secret history of their civilizations that they've been covering up to preserve sort of the 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 narrative that they've been presenting for hundreds of years that if this ever got out, they would be completely discredited. Um, now, I don't necessarily believe that element of this conspiracy, but I do think there are some interesting things in history um, that are worth investigating. So obviously, we all know the biblical stories of uh, Joshua and Caleb going into the promised land and encountering people who said they were so big that they make us look like grasshoppers. We know that Goliath was an actual giant. We know that these these giants are mentioned in the Bible. But but, but, uh, but I thought Goliath was just like seven foot tall. I mean, we have giants in the NBA, you know, like I that's can that you kind clarify of what giant means had. then. Yeah, Maybe that would help. Well, uh, so in this case, uh, um, you know, the, these are individuals that would be, you know, well over like 10 feet tall. What? Um, and well, I mean, again, it's like tall? there's some poetic license that Joshua and Caleb were using. But if they saw an entire country filled with people that made them feel the size of grasshoppers, I don't think they were just talking about like basketball team height, yeah. heighted people like these seem like supernaturally large individuals. Um so, uh, but if you look at kind of modern history, 
there are actually um, there. You know, this isn't un- unprecedented. I want to read a quote. And actually, there was a time in American history where it was just a foregone conclusion that giants were real. I want to read a quote from former President Abraham Lincoln. Okay, so Abraham Lincoln, the year is 1848, and he's campaigning around the country. And uh, he's, you know, doing political campaigns and he does a stopover at Niagara Falls. And as he's there standing at Niagara Niagara Falls, he uses it as like a point of reference for something that's been around uh, for a long time. And I want to read a quote from that speech. And but notice how casually he says something in this speech. He says uh, he's pointing to Niagara Falls. He says, but still there is more. It calls up the infinite past. He's referring to Niagara Falls. When Columbus first sought this continent, when Christ suffered on the cross. When Moses read Israel through the Red Sea, nay, even when Adam first came from the hand of his maker, then as now Niagara, Niagara was raging here. The eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. Wait, what? A a president just saying like, hey, you know how we got all those giants buried all over the country? They were once all night. Like he just says it as a sort of foregone conclusion that every American knows that this that the country was populated by giants in 1520. I've in, never heard this in my entire never, life. Never, that, that is Abra- That is, yeah. I mean, this is documented. That is a speech from Abraham Lincoln, a former president. You know, and obviously, he's honest, Abe. There, but- <laughs> he's honest. <laughs> That's honest right. It's <laughs> a good point. That lends even more credibility. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, John Smith, the uh, you know from you know Jamestown settlement. He wrote about encountering a. Uh, uh, a tribe of giants in the 1600s. Uh, Americo Vespucci, uh, who the navigator who uh, America is named for, um, wrote about visiting an island of giants in 1499. He said that there's they were so tall, uh, so tall in stature, we regarded them with astonishment. Uh, this is from Ferdinand Magellan in 1520. Uh, he was traveling around the world and he encountered another island that was populated by giants. He said when he was before us talking about the giants, he became he began to marvel and to be afraid. He raised one finger upward, believing that we came from heaven. Uh, and he was so tall that the tall of, uh, tallest of us only came up to his waist. So the tallest person in this exploration group only came up to this giant's waist. This is Ferdinand Magellan in 1520. Um, so that would put the person uh, like 11 or 12 feet tall. That's, like, still, yeah, that's true. That's crazy. Th- th- that's still disappointing. There are, I think it needs to be bigger. Th- I think they need to be taller. <laughs> <laughs> I picture a giant. Feet? I picture, yeah, if I picture a giant, I'm picturing like the size of a building. It's not a giant if it's not a person the size of a but, building. But a, a, a story of a building is 10 feet. So a 12 foot tall person would be taller than a one story building. It'd be taller than a basketball hoop. I would still yeah. think basketball player. I would still two think feet, basketball player. But two player, feet taller giant. than the hoop. You know, like a, a normal basketball player is like six and a half feet tall. This is double that. This is, that's yeah. crazy. I, I, I see your point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but throughout history, up and like I said, recent history, that quote from Abraham Lincoln was only from the 1850s. Well, where did, what they all did go? he know? Where, where did all these giant <laughs> lands go? This is the question, right? Exactly. Exactly. Welcome down the rabbit hole, Cameron. <laughs> where, where are all these notable, otherwise credible historical features referencing? If, well, can I ask a question? Yes, please do. Could it be like native people who were already here before everyone showed up? Is this is this a 
maybe thought? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's that's the implication. And, but yeah. but again, these are from cultures all over the world. These aren't isolated gotcha. just to North America. Um, a lot of these encounters are in you know every culture seems to have reference to to species to to I don't want you know to um, communities of giants. It's pretty much in every culture. Um, what happened? Why, why do we not really hear or really seriously have any serious, serious historical investigation, even though there's lots of, um, sort of, uh, you know, evidence, at least secondhand evidence throughout history. And to Cameron's point, uh, if there, if, if someone like a former president just, you know, offhandedly remarked about how they're just buried all over the place, why don't we know where any are today? Right, it's a very. They're big finding mystery, dinosaur and bones I, and uh, ancient tombs all the time. Like there, you'd think twelve foot skeletons would be a thing, you know. Like, well, the, the, in in 1931, they actually found two skeletons near a cave in in Nevada. Um, uh, one was uh, about ten feet tall. One was eight and a half feet tall, and uh, not far, not long after, a couple of years later, they found one that was uh, seven uh, seven feet seven inches. And so okay. now, obviously, there. Oh, go ahead, Jamie. Well, I was going to say this. I just felt like this is like something random that Jesse is talking about. Like, is this really a thing? And I just hit in Google giants in America. List after list after list about this. Wow. This is people are talking. I know people are talking. <laughs> people are waking up. No, I don't like I, I, I think it's very I think it's it's it can be dangerous to indulge like. Like I said, dangerous conspiracy theories. But I also think there are interesting things in history that are just unfashionable to talk about for a variety of reasons, mainly because, you know, it doesn't attract serious scholarship. But a couple years ago, it was it seemed completely absurd to even entertain the idea of trying to intellectualize something like UFOs. Now it's 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 part of just our common parlance to try to understand a mystery i think something like this so some sort of uh you know historical mystery like this it it is absurd seemingly to talk about but i don't think that makes it any less interesting when you look at some of the anecdotes throughout history i just can't i can't believe that there would be like like if a civilization is wiped out like the aztecs there's remnants of the civilization Mm -hmm. in the historical record and 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 like for there to be globally civilizations of giants completely obliterated and erased from history and there's like no real record of it that makes no sense if you believe but if you believe the bible this is accurate you know what i mean the bible is very clear that there were at least one civilization of giants you know what i mean like so i mean we, we have a biblical account we have seemingly historical. We just don't have the physical evidence. I just thought I just always assumed that the Philistines were kind of like, you know, there's certain civilizations that are shorter, you know, and and diminutive, and the you know, and that their genealogy is just shorter, smaller in stature. And then there's ones that are big and muscular, like Vikings. And I just always yeah. assumed that the Philistines was just that contrast, like a little shepherd boy versus like this big, tall, seven foot, you know, Hercules looking guy. But and like it was just like verbally described as being a giant, like he was giant, you know, he's big and imposing, but like a literal 12 foot tall creature. Like, how come we don't where are they? Like, how come there's no <laughs> tombs? Precisely, precisely. What well, well, someone the, didn't want us to know. There's a TV series about this, Jesse. What's it called? I'm in. Search I'm in. for the lost giants. 
in, in. It's done. A right now. I'm in. I'm in. I'm it's in the queue. That's amazing. Put it, in it is a documentary. Jim and Bill discover a previously unknown hidden chamber where they believe a giant skeleton may be buried. Now, the the, the some biblical scholars believe, and and this is where it gets wild. I told you, Clark, we're gonna get weird today because Let's you go. know you're going a, there's further. A lot of, oh wow! There's yeah. More. Well, what what here? There are some theories by biblical scholars that the giants referred to in the Old Testament were actually the offspring of an unholy union of fallen angels and people known as Nephilim. That mm-hmm. uh, that you know, and again, is that the rock is, monsters you know, from the Moses movie? Or the Noah movie? That 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 was that was their interpretation of that. But okay. uh, a common biblical scholarly interpretation was that you know pre flood things were really weird. Like uh, you know, and you can you you know you can read the Genesis narrative literally figuratively however you want. But I'm just saying what a theory is depending on how you read the Bible that pre flood. Uh, you know, fallen angels and people kind of intermingled and had offspring. And these offspring inherited traits of humans, but also of like super, you know, of angelic beings making them giants. And that was partly the reason they had such an antagonist, antagonistic relationship with the Israelites is because they were sort of this, super you know, kind natural. of suit. Yeah, exactly. So Clark, anyway, it, will you beep when he said intermingled? Because that would be funnier. Sure. Like, <laughs> the, the angel, the, they sure, beep, I can. And just, sure. just extend it. Extend it. They beep, 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 beep. We're just going to randomly bleep a lot of things in this show for. Well, no that reason. was. Well, that was. That was unnecessarily graphic. I think we understood the implication <laughs> without going in. And oh, then. Like, it's not like you're describing the act. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. So, like, so, so then that would give different a different uh, reasoning why God had to like start over and like flood the earth. Let's get rid of this weird stuff. Let's start with a little human family and like reset. That's interesting. Precisely. And, Mm -hmm. and, and when, and some people interpret, well, again, this is where it gets really trippy. Some people interpret the verse in revelation where it says, I believe it's in the book of revelation. It says, you know, the end times will be as of the days of Noah. And some people interpret that to be some sort of return of these giants. So nothing to worry about. We have a- that doesn't explain like <laughs> why they why Abraham Lincoln saw them. You know, he went around before Noah. So it's like, you're right. Yeah, you're right. There's a it's couple. A, there's a couple you. lurking. They a couple live that among knew us. how to tread water and they just kind of like went up into That's the mountains or something. The further down this rabbit hole you go. Creeper it gets. So, you know, <laughs> if you can't sleep at night and you're, you just have a wandering mind, now you know a really fun, weird rabbit hole to go down. That's what, I, that's what I've been thinking about. What happened to the giants? Thank you, Jesse. Wow. Bigfoot is real. You, yeah, think, he, no. you think Bigfoot is an offspring of a, of a demon and a human? Bigfoot, Bigfoot, it, it's potential. Gabs, you're there in the, uh, you know, you're, you're there in the, the west the side west. of the U.S. there. Well, but big, yeah. big, Bigfoot, Bigfoot, yeah. Bigfoot the Bigfoot Museum is in the Smoky Mountains in Appalachia here in the southeast. Uh, the Bigfoot, there's a yeah. there's a Bigfoot. version of Bigfoot in pretty much every region, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. J- Jane Goodall. Uh, you guys know Jane Goodall. Who yeah. The, lives amongst the, the, the apes and, you know, mm-hmm. she's still around mm-hmm. and she recently, I mean, I think she's in her 90s, but she recently wrote a book and I, I was, you know, following some of her press tour. And she's a very credible, you know, figure in the science community, uh, particularly for her research into primates. And she was on uh, WTF, Mark Maron's podcast. 
and talking about her book. And he just kind of offhandedly at the end of the interview, because if you're going to ask Jane, if you're going to ask Jane Goodall about Bigfoot, do it at the end of a two hour interview so that you have nothing to lose. You got everything you needed. Like right. you've been talking to the woman for two hours. Right. If you're going to drop a Bigfoot bomb, drop it then. Mm -hmm. And he did. He was like, hey, what do you think about Bigfoot? And she actually had a really interesting story of, uh, you know, she was visiting. It was like a very, very remote island that was almost untouched to do re to, to try to find. Um, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to probably butcher this a little bit, but um, I'm paraphrasing here. But anyway, she was in a very remote location. She wanted to find out if there was like a population of silverbacks there. Um, and just for scientific purposes. And th these are people basically uncontacted, you know, and would have no frame of reference for like an American Bigfoot story. Anyway, she she came to these village elders and say, I want to come back at a certain amount of time. Can you ask around the village if anyone has seen any uh, like apes or gorillas or primates were interested in doing some research, blah, blah, blah. So she comes back. All the hunters come and like, yeah, we got some stories. And we're talking about these creatures that walk upright that are basically describing what an American preconception of Bigfoot is. These are like tribal hunters who said they encountered them all the time. And uh, they would have no frame of reference for any sort of like American pop culture construct. Did she of our leave idea, a, Bigfoot. A, a digital camera and said, please, next time you see <laughs> one here, use this and email me the JPEG? And see, this is that's why I, that's why I don't believe stuff like that because it's like it'd be if because there's no pictures, we, there's no documentation. Like, okay, so they see yeah. them all the time. Well, then it'd be very easy to capture one footage of did, one. Did this, but but I don't think this is a tribe that even you know utilized yeah. any sort of okay, contemporary well technology. She could leave an intern behind to like go out with the hunters, <laughs> and like the Listen, intern you, can. Cameron, you seem very frustrated at me about this, and I think you need to take it up with Jane Goodall. You can get her on the blower. Clark, do you mind seeing if she's just on Skype? Just type Jane Goodall on Skype and see who it comes up. Hello, Cameron. I, you have a question about Bigfoot. I, you know, uh, most of Jane Goodall's career was this one island or one mountain. Uh, the gorillas, it's the last mountain where the gorillas are in the wild. It's in the corner of uh, Uganda and Kenya and uh, the Congo. And I I was there and, uh, and uh, hiked up and saw wild gorillas and stuff years ago. Wow. But it was the Jane That's Goodall insane. mountain. And I had a silverback charge me, and it was quite scary, actually. So, did you get a picture of it? That's how we need to know if this really happened. Yeah, camera. yes, I, I, I believe did. you when I see the footage. I did. I uh, actually, that's why I got charged, is because like we came across this family, and they were all asleep in a clearing, and um, I set my camera up on a tripod and like scurry and like I carefully like scurried up to the family and like squatted down to get a picture of myself with the oh gorillas, and they woke up. And so, like, I saw the guides, like, we had armed guards because there's, like, poachers and stuff. Like, so we had, like, military people with us. I literally saw them push the five or six of us in the group, uh, push them into the brush to, like, like, he's a goner, but I'm gonna, they're going to save them. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the silverback, the dad, like, was asleep. And so he was startled by me. And he stands up and does the, the King Kong beats his chest and then charged at me. And then he stopped like two feet in front of me, smelled me. And then like the kids are like running around me like I'm a tree. Like they're literally playing tag, like bumping into me and stuff. It's, it was the most it's surreal moment of my life. But it was on the Jane Goodall mountain, like where she. Uh, Did you just like poop your pants or something? I mean, that had to be I was, the most I was, scary I was paralyzed I, uh... I, because like 
literally like the group like went away like they went ran to safety (laughs) and i was left alone in this clearing with a family of gorillas and uh i do have two options you had two options one is to just let the gorilla maul you Mm -hmm. or just join the gorilla family and start a new life amongst (laughs) them just amongst them they've to me it's you and jane goodall the only people ever invited in and as kramer says (laughs) once you're in you're good. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't see any Leviathan or or Bigfoot people either. So <laughs> well, that's they don't want to be seen. For exactly. Reason, I had camera gear on me. Respect that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I don't know. Draw your own conclusions. I'm, I'm, I'm just like uh, the thing that bug, I believe what you're saying. The thing that bugs me is that there's no evidence of these bodies and if it was whole lands of people and whole civilizations of people there would be skeletons that are more commonly found you know what i mean that's the thing that do bugs you, me do about you believe some of these the bible do you believe the bible <laughs> yes but <laughs> again i always interpreted no the philistines as just like tall like warrior type people you know what i mean like strong hercules looking people i didn't think they'd like be like LeBron 12 James. feet tall man now i'm like I think I think we need to watch this documentary and all report back. Um, so I know what I'll be doing this evening. Yep. All right, that'll do it for. What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Well, before we wrap up, I want to thank Channing Tatum and Reed Carolyn for joining us today. Make sure to check out their new film, Dog. It's in theaters now. Also, uh, some updates. Make sure to check out RelevantStore.com uh, for our latest merch, our annual print edition, podcast fan gear, and more. Uh, some great deals going on right now at RelevantStore.com. Also, at RelevantMagazine.com, make sure to sign up there on our homepage and on the right or the sidebar of all the articles. Uh, sign up for our daily newsletter to keep up all the great content we're putting out on the site. It's our top five trending stories every morning delivered to your inbox. It's a great way to stay in touch. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Gabrielle Griffin. There you go. Making her debut. Great job, Gabs. <laughs> you know what? You should sit in for the Tuesday show. Let's do that. Yeah. We'll All right. <laughs> She'll be in for the Tuesday show. Okay. We'll see you guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at RelevantMagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com. Well, you know what you can do with your sermonos. Beep, 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 beep. Relevant Podcast Network. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.